Yeah? Let's <laughs> get a little beat going right there. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam. Glad you're here today. Hey, yeah. Good to see you guys. Hey, everybody. One quick announcement. Next weekend is Fall Back Sunday, so don't forget. Set your clocks back. This is that pesky little time every year where we try to remember what time it is in the morning, and some of us wake up, ah, you know, and you got an extra hour or whatever the case is. So this is that time, so just wanted to remind you of that. Um, happy to be guest teaching this morning. I'd like to give a special thanks to uh, Pastor Scott's uh, 80s goatee for inspiring me this morning. Uh, that is a serious Fu Manchu he's got going on. He's very proud of it. Make sure to make fun of him uh, every chance you get uh, with the facial hair situation he is embarking upon. Uh, so I'll be picking up with our psalm series that we've been doing so far. Uh, you know, there's so much rich, richness in the Bible and particularly in the books, uh, in books of the Bible, like the Psalms, which is really just um, a gigantic songbook of 100. Think of it as a 150 uh, song Spotify playlist. That's kind of what it is. It's kind of what it is. Now, we've, we've lost a lot of the, the music, but the words are still there. So we've got the lyrics, so, uh, but a lot of the music there is gone. But that's kind of what that is. It's a giant playlist. And so in there, there's so much of a human element to it. There's something for happy folks, something for sad folks, something for angry folks, or something for celebratory folks. There's something for everybody at every stage uh, and every point of life. So we're going to dive into that a little bit more today. Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about an unusual type of song, which is the psalm of history or remembrance, um, the psalm. And when you hear the word psalm, it just means song. So we're going to be talking about the songs in the book of psalms that talk about history and remembrance. So let me define this type of psalm for you. We just heard one uh, from, uh, from Jackson there. So psalms of remembrance follow this general pattern, okay? Part one is the freak out. You heard that part at the beginning. Ah, oh no, what's happening here? This is where the psalmist literally just goes ape over whatever particular situation they're dealing with in their life. Sometimes it's something personal or family. Sometimes it's national or political. Ah, Israel isn't following God. What's our problem, you know? Or, oh my God, my teenagers drive me crazy. You know, whatever it is um, where they're, they're flipping out over a particular situation. So no matter what it is, the psalmist is at Volume 10 on this, 11 out of 10, where he's, he or she is just yelling about whatever's going on. Part two is the call out, the call out. The psalmist spends some time asking God, look, this is God, this is obviously your fault, whatever's going on. So A, you know, this is happening on your watch. What are you going to do about it? Why did you allow it to happen? And just go ahead and lay out your action plan on how do you plan to solve this, God? It's the second part. Third part, which is the most important part for us to talk about today, is the remembrance. This is when the psalmist lays out basically like two levels of history, personal history and covenantal history, what God has done for this, this psalmist, for this songwriter in the past, and what he's done for the nation of Israel, for the people of Israel. So first up, let's talk about the history um, of God's covenant and this idea and why he does this. So in the Hebrew language, the idea of remembering history, covenantal history, is not just to recall facts, it's to feel them. 
It's to relive them in a significant way. For example, we'll use this one. We don't live that far from the beach, right? So normal remembering might be to say, hey, remember that time we went to the beach last summer? Oh, yeah, we went down to St. George's Great, or oh, we went wherever. And you remember maybe a time and a place and who you went with. That's not what we're talking about here. Covenantal remembrance is deeper than that. The, this Bible idea of remembrance is deeper than that. It's to emotionally and as much as possible physically feel, live inside the event, reenact the event in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit, in your mind. That might look like intentionally closing your eyes. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And you close your eyes and you hear the sound of seagulls uh, around you or imagine the sensation of sand between your toes. Maybe you can do that right now. You know what it feels like to have sand between your toes. That's covenantal Hebraic remembering, and that's what the psalmist is asking us to do. So we can remember the peace and relaxation, the happiness that we felt at the beach. We can feel the emotions of that. And then as we close our eyes, we can smile at the remembrance of that and allow that tension to just leave our shoulders as we remember what that feels like. You know, It's really just a a fancy way to say that we meditate on who God is and what he's done in that situation, but we're doing it in a, in a, a memory kind of a way. So that's covenantal remembrance. It's an experience. It's not a data dump. It's not information, transference of information like we see so much in our modern world today. So as the psalmist recounts the victories of God in the past for the Israelites, he expects the readers to imagine themselves at that event, maybe crossing the Red Sea. Can you imagine crossing the Red Sea? You can see the wet sand beneath you. You look in front of you, there are people in front of you. You look up the side and there's a, a wall of water. You know, to reenact the moment, that idea. Or maybe the giving of the Ten Commandments. You, you, see, the, uh, you see thunder and lightning in the sky and, and then you imagine Moses coming down and said, dude, check this out. It's got these Ten Commandments, so we need to do them, right? It, kind of this idea. So that's what this is. Or maybe in his personal life, the psalmist remembers uh, maybe God saves a child from harm. And he's like, God, I remember that. Therefore, I don't need to freak out, right? Or maybe uh, he brings a, a, a bountiful harvest to him so his family can eat and so he can share the crops with the community, make money, and, and feed the poor. Maybe those things, God, you did these things for me. Therefore, I will have faith in that. I will remember the goodness you've done. So same thing about Jesus kept this idea, too, about remembrance going. Think about what he said at the Last Supper when he was passing out the bread and the wine. He took the cup. He took the bread. What did he say? Do this in remembrance. That's not just, hey, guys, look at what I did. I mean, it's like it's a legit, deep-seated understanding of reenact this moment with me over your life, even when I'm no longer with you, is that idea. When you take communion, remember this moment as if you were drinking and eating in this very room with this wine and bread. So a little sidebar here in regards to that. You know, there's a lot of people who debate about the literalness of the body and blood of Christ, things like that, right? People have different ideas about that. Is it symbolic? Is it the actual blood and body of Christ? Well, if you look deeper at that Hebraic understanding of remembrance, you might as well be back at the scene literally partaking. 
you see, you see the connection there. So it's not quite as synthetic and mechanical as we tend to make it in our modern Western world. There's a, there's a, a sense of organic remembrance and connection to an event through that remembrance that allows those events to occur at the same time. It's the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the faith. So looking at Psalm 77 that Jackson read earlier, we see these three stages, right? Freak out, call out, and remembrance. So verses 1 through 6, the psalmist is yelling at God. He's wringing his hands. He's not sleeping at all. Now, when I was younger, I, I was understood what that meant, but ultimately one of the more common words we use today to describe that is anxiety, right? And then we, we hold that. We say, my anxiety, because it's something that belongs to us. Um, which really isn't the case, but we, for some reason we've decided we want to own that as part of who we are. Uh, but the psalmist is, is doing that. He's wringing hands, he's waking up in the middle of the night, he can't sleep, all this kind of stuff. In verses 7 through 10, the psalmist calls out God for abandoning not just him, but everyone, right? He says, God's left us, he's stomped off in a huff, he's quit, he's quit his day job, all this stuff. What does that really mean? Well, what it means is that the psalmist feels like God has broken his part of the deal. God, we had a covenant. We had a covenant. You broke, you're not here. You're not doing what you promised that you would do. But then comes the remembrance. Then comes the history lesson. In verses 11 through 20, the psalmist begins remembering all the past heroics of God. He says, you're the God that makes things happen in the message translation a little further down. Now, that's important. Makes things happen happen. It's a God of action. There are plenty of gods running around in cultures during that time. But the Israelites were quick to point out that their God, our God, is the God that delivers the goods. It's the God that lands on a hundred. It's the God that's getting things done. All those other gods are chumps because they're saying one thing, but they're not delivering because we can remember the acts of God. We know that he's going to seal the deal, right? that he's a closer, that he gets it done. That's that idea. The psalmist brings to mind, he starts naming, he says, Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Aaron. He did it for all these guys. He's going to do it for us, right? That's how God comes through. It's a cool psalm, psalm of remembrance, a song of remembrance. And it's that remembrance that calms the anxiety, that calms the panic, literal panic, of that songwriter in that in that moment. And so the songwriter writes that as an instruction to us. When you're freaking out and when you're calling out God for not keeping his part of the deal, remember. Remember what God has done so that you can have an idea of what God is going to do. So let's back up just a little bit and talk about how this works for us. Let's talk about the idea of remembrance as part of the body of Christ, as a community of believers, okay? So remembrance is really important to us in our kind of barren cultural and spiritual land that we live in, in a lot of ways. And we can take the practice of remembrance of us into our daily lives as part of our spiritual practice to help us do the things that we need to do. And the Psalms combine at two of these most important elements throughout all 150 of them, which is memory and melody. 
melody and memorization. First up, let's talk about some examples. Y'all know this song? Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Does everybody know the, the melody to this song? Yeah, you do. I mean, most people, everybody knows this song. So, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Everybody knows it. It comes from a French nursery rhyme that Mozart used in his own music in the 1780s, right? Everybody knew it because it was the popular music of the day. Classical today was the pop hits of, of the 18th century. So, that's how that came about. Now, I didn't realize this for the longest time. I love music, listen to music, play music. I didn't get this, and you can, this is your chance to laugh at me, but I never connected the fact that the alphabet song, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, were the same melody. I don't, did, I don't know why I missed that. I missed that for decades of my life, and someone pointed out, and I was like, Psh! and then I went back and listened. I went, oh, well, <laughs> I'm a moron. <laughs> I had no idea. I just never put those two things together. So Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, the... the there's a, a guy named Charles Bradley in 1835, and he took that medley from Mozart, the, the French lullaby, stuck the ABCs to it, and copyrighted that joker and made a whole bunch of money off of it. That's <laughs> the easiest make a million ever, right, uh, with that guy. So that's what he did. And because of the ease of the melody, we associate the alphabet with that song, whether we know where it comes from or not, just simply because those two elements were portable put them together, and the need to remember so we could learn how to read and write. So that's where that came from. And so that's what a psalmist would do. They would take a medley and a meter that could be easily remembered and put it with some other important ideas that the culture of that day, the Israelites need. And this, happened in, this happens in every culture, but specifically we have such a good example in the Psalms. It would put it with some important ideas about God. And we have lost those melodies. Like I said earlier, we've lost them from today, but we do this in our own way too. We have our own version of Psalms. Do you know what they are? Hymns. It's one version of Psalms. So most hymn medleys, I don't know if you know this or not, you can look down at the bottom of a hymn book and you'll see old John's <laughs> barley grain song of 1642, something like this. So, and they have the meter laid out for you, 14.7.9.6 refrain, blah, blah, blah. All that is is describing some old pub song that everybody used to know and sit around and drink to and sing together. And so what would happen is these songwriters, these hymn writers would come in and say, all right, let's take a song everybody knows already. Let's put some good Christian lyrics to it so that we can teach all these guys and gals what Christ is about and so they can remember it. That's where it comes from. So, for example, great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father, it wouldn't be like, great is thy faithfulness. You have heard that growing up? It's more like... Stein in hand, great is that Oh, they didn't sing it that way, right? But it would have some other, some other, uh, some other lyrics to it at the time, and so they adopted that idea. And those are those ideas are similar. Like for you musicians in the audience, the major third switch in the Beatles' Eight Days a Week is in "Great Is Thy Faithfulness." So it's similar, it's memorable, it's portable, it's popular, it's things that you can remember. Same thing with. A mighty fortress is our God. Y'all know that? Yeah? You just you like sing it oh, big, you know, sing it like it's this big, great song. Another pub, another pub song. 
Only back then it was probably like, today we won the football game. <laughs> that was where it came from. And then they said, okay, let's turn this into something where people can relate to God. So what if today we took worshipful lyrics and we stuck it with Post Malone's candy paint? Candy paint with a wild Y'all know this song? There's like four people that know this song. It's a popular song. There's like six kids in here who know this song. But what if you're like, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Came to earth and he shed his blood. Same, same idea. It's the same idea, only 200 years ago. It would have been a mighty fortress is our God. Same idea. Easy medley you can use to memorize Christian ideas. And we do this naturally all the time as well, right? Here's a personal example. With my daughters, I have a song that I sing. I don't with Mark. Like Amber has some little songs she sings to Mark, but I didn't get in the middle of that. Um, but with my daughters, I had a song for each of them. So Claire Grace, who's now in college, I used to sing a song called Gracie Girl by Ben Folds. I don't know if y'all know who Ben Folds is. Um, and uh, the song's uh, called Gracie Girl. So I sang that song to her all the way until she left the house for college this year. And the bridge, I got to finally sing to her as it was meant to be sing, which is life flies by in seconds. You're not a baby, Gracie, you're my friend. And we celebrated that moment before she left for college. So songs can mean something like that. With, with Ella Gray, my 13-year-old, I still, she's 13, I, don't, I got some classical, I think it's Edward Grieg song, uh, melody that I pulled off Little Einsteins or something, and I changed the words to sing a little lullaby to her. And I woke her up the other day singing that song to her. And she's 13. So she'll remember those things because it's memorable to her as well. Now, Annagale, she's 17. She got the real deal. I actually wrote her a song, and it was a good song. But I've forgotten the song. <laughs> And the, and the reason why is because I wrote the original melody, all that stuff, on a scrap of paper and laid it up on the piano. And it wasn't as memorable as some other things, but I was really proud of it because there was some nuance and subtleties in the rhythm and the, and the, the music. But uh, it was not memorable. So I lost the scrap of paper, and I lost the ability to sing the song. And all I know were just a couple of lines and a few chords to it. But I can't remember the song. And Annagale, we talked about this. She's fine. She's forgiven me. It's no big deal. But they weren't as portable or memorable as the other two. You see what I'm saying? So that's the important thing. It's got to be simple enough to remember that. So that's the way that works with memorability and music and portability and how we connect songs and connect uh, music and we connect God. It's the reason we do the worship that we do here. It's so if you don't pick up anything out of the sermon, you may remember the melody to some of the lyrics. Either way, you're getting what you need to get. So last thing I want to talk about with you guys this morning is how remembrance affects our relationships, affects our spiritual lives. Remembrance grounds us to what matters, to what is real. Our natural inclination is to remember and hold on to the bad stuff. You guys know this? This is the way your brain works, okay? You were made to stay away from predators, bad things, things that might hurt you. That's like inside of who you are. And so your natural proclivity, your natural inclination is to remember bad things so that you won't do them. Well, I don't want to go in there because, you know, there are alligators in there. I don't want to get eaten by an alligator. Whatever it is, right? That idea. 
And so that's natural. Our bodies are created a way to signal us to stay away from harm. So what that means, since our good memories don't stick as well as our bad memories, the first thing that means is our memories are skewed, okay? And we need to pull back from that. People have had bad things happen to them, but not everything that's happened to you is bad, right? And if you allow that to be your identity, you allow that to be your world, then you lose the opportunity for God to do some real work in pulling out the goodness of what life has been for you to balance out those bad ideas. So that means that we have to intentionally remember the good, the important, the life-affirming things we've experienced. So how do we do that? Well, it's, there's no magic trick. You, just, you, tr- you train yourself. You make yourself learn how to do that. We act deliberately. And you teach your children or you teach your, your loved ones to act deliberately to remember good things. I'm going to give you a couple of examples, okay? First off, a couple of years ago, our family was in the Blue Ridge Mountains on a vacation. We decided to hike to a waterfall. And uh, shockingly, I know for you that have kids, um, the kids were not very excited about hiking to this waterfall. But once we got there, they were like, oh, this is beautiful, love it, all these things, right? So um, they loved it. So they waded out in the water. And this is pretty similar. It's some stock photo, but it's pretty similar to what we saw. Um, and they played around in the water. They took a, we took a family picture. They took selfies of each other, you know, like kids do. Kicked around in the water, had fun laughing and playing, all this stuff. And then we began to gather back kind of off to the side and, and pull together, put our shoes on and, and things like that. And I turned them all around. I said, guys, I want you to just put your phones in your pocket. I want you to turn around, look at this scene. Just stare at this. Stare at the water. Stare at the, stare at the ripples of the waters, the sounds that you hear, the greenery all around. And think about you're all here and you love each other. Is that me? Maybe? Okay. Um, that uh, think uh, that we're all here together, um, and remember this moment where you're all getting along, you're splashing in the water together, and we're having a great time together. And they actually, that mental picture still sticks with them, and they talk about that, um, and have been talking about that for almost four years now. They don't just remember Oh, yeah, we went to the Blue Ridge Mountains. We saw a waterfall. They remember reliving the moment. They can remember the water at their feet. They remember the sounds that they see because they're learning how to remember like a Hebrew. They're learning how to remember like the psalmist wants us to remember covenantally, right? Or like Jesus asked the disciples to remember Passover. So here's another example. Um, a, A guy I knew whose wife had extreme anxiety and when she was in those moments, she would, like, uh, she would lose a little bit of her identity or sense of self. And so this guy, I thought this was really smart, um, when she was struggling and kind of questioning her, her whole world, he would sit her down and make her a cup of coffee or whatever at, the end of, at that morning or the end of the day, and they would pull out all their wedding pictures. And we'd go through all their wedding pictures and look, hey, wasn't that a great day? Look at all that we've done together, all the things that we've had together, all the, all the good memories that we have, why we got married, all the good things that we shared, all the memories of that special day, our children, our family. And then it would, it would, it would, it would peel off into other, hey, you remember when we went on this trip, or you remember when we did this, or oh my God, that was so funny, man, we've got a good life. And she would find her way out of that anxiety 
by remembering all of who she was, essentially reassembling her identity around the good things that she was, not the panic of the moment that she was feeling. We have technology that sometimes helps us with that too. One of the good things about social media is you get a random photo that pops up, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, three years ago we went here, ha-ha, we were with these friends at this thing, right? That idea. And annoying people will share that back on Facebook. Oh, you annoying people. Don't do that. What you should do instead, snap that shot. And if it's with like a spouse, Amber does this all the time with me. Um, she'll be like, hey, look at this. This was three years ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was so awesome. So don't throw it out on Facebook for people who don't care. Send it to the people you were with and say, do you remember this? This was such a great day. Such a great day. I was so, or if it's friends, your buddies or your, your, your gal pals and you had a great weekend, I was a great weekend. Let's plan another one right? That's another way to, to do that. Intentional remembrance. Sometimes I see our kids laughing and interacting with each other and having fun as a family, and I'll literally pray in that moment for them. I'll say, Lord, help them to remember this moment, that they loved each other, that we were a family, that was peace in our home. And then I'll say, Lord, help me to remember. When I get annoyed with them, that this is the core of who they are, good, good kids. And uh, same thing, help my wife to remember, help us to remember all the good that we fostered here in our home, that it's a safe place for everything that we do. Last story. Amber and I were down in Miami a couple of weekends ago to go to a wedding. Now, it's not a normal wedding. We went to a Cuban wedding. Now, if you've been to a Cuban wedding before, these are not, <laughs> these are big Big events. Cubans love to party down, and we have some Cuban friends, and we love to love to do that with them. So that means this this wedding could last anywhere from two to eight, ten hours. You never know between the entire thing. So this one started around three in the afternoon. We escaped out the back door around eight o'clock, which was good. We were able to get out alive and survived. Um, the funny thing is, the Colombian band they had hired for the reception didn't arrive until after we left which means they were conga lining till like 12, 1, p, 1 a.m. in the morning. So we got out just in time. Old people needed their rest. I, I don't know that we would have been able to get out otherwise, so it worked. So when the bride and groom were introduced at this reception, um, the song that came out to was uh, Elvis Presley's I Can't Help Falling in Love With You. Famous song, right? Uh, Amber and I looked at each other when that happened and smiled because that's the song that she walked down the aisle to to our little family backyard wedding. And so we didn't really say anything to each other and then smiled to her and I leaned over and I said, now that was a good day. And she knew exactly what I was talking about because that's now a psalm of remembrance in our life. That was a good day. This song triggers that memory. It triggers, triggers everything that's good about being married and commitment and the foundation of that and everything that we have built since that time. That was a good day. So you can do that. You can do that with anything you choose to do in your life and allow the goodness of God to breathe life into those good memories for you and heal those parts of you that may be plagued by bad memories, okay? You can create psalms of remembrance whenever you like in prayer, meditation, you know what you can do? You get really crazy, and you can sing songs to God. God, I've had a bad day. Make tonight a good day. <laughs> Whatever you want it to be. 
however you want it to look. You can do that. And the more you remember what you believe, the more you remember why you believe it. I'm going to say that again because that's pretty important. You can't remember the things that you love if you forget them. And so the more you remember what you believe by choosing intentional remembrance in your life, the more you believe, the more you remember why you believe them. It's really, really important to remind yourself and to remind the others around you of the good, the redemptive, the pure, the beautiful, right? Last thought. The word for integrity in the Hebrew, it has several different meanings but or ideas, layers, but at the one I like the most is the idea of being rooted or grounded, being rooted or, or grounded in something. So I believe Scott mentioned um, in the first week, the, the psalmist talking about being spiritually healthy and the delight of God, uh, being the psalmist delight, and it created, um, it looks like a tree planted by a river, Rooted to the source. Rooted to the source. So integrity in our society is not something that we see as much anymore. And people who choose to have kind of a rooted sense of belief in, in God and, and in a particular set of values sometimes uh, runs up against uh, some, some, pretty tough, some pretty tough walls um, and have to make hard choices about things. And you know what? A lot of times if you abandon those roots... People aren't going to give you a bad time about it anymore because a lot of people are rootless. You just become part of the, the fray. You just become part of everybody else. And so it really takes intentional remembrance to remain rooted and grounded with integrity in who God is. So God calls us to be rooted. And one of the ways we can do that is remembering what matters most. Remembering God, how he asks us to live even when it isn't the most popular idea. And I challenge you this morning to remember what matters. Think about it. Meditate on it. Sing a song about it. Then our roots as a community, as individuals, as families, as communities, as a church, all of that grows to make us a reflection of God's goodness. Amen? Amen. Amen.